48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Steve Dunthorne. Tonight's headlines. Citywide testing for coronavirus will reportedly start on September the 1st. Hundreds of staff and detainees at the Castle Peak Bay Immigration Centre are to be checked for coronavirus after an infection there. And the number of people out of work in Hong Kong dropped slightly after rising for months. The Medical Association President Choi Kin says that the universal COVID-19 testing planned by the government will begin on September the 1st. But he says, at best, the scheme will only provide a broad picture of how many people are infected and it won't help stop the spread of the virus. Maggie Ho reports. Dr Choi says he was told during a meeting with officials this week that specimen collection will start on September the 1st and will last for around one to two weeks. He says he understands that testing booths will be set up in public places such as playgrounds and schools. He says if the free tests, for anyone who wants one, are carried out via an appointment system, the risk of cross-infection will be reduced. Dr. Choi says the testing can only provide a broad picture of how many infections there are in Hong Kong, and even this will depend on how many people take part. It depends on the citizens as well. depends on whether the citizens wanted to be tested or not, as well as the number of participants uh, of us. Uh, medical personnel who will be doing the swapping. So there will be a, a un, uncertain figures or uncertain factors uh, involved. We need to see this, uh, you know, when the time comes. We cannot predict this right now. The doctor says these tests alone won't help stop the spread of coronavirus and for this there would have to be strict quarantine measures as well. Hundreds of staff and detainees at the Castle Peak Bay Immigration Centre are going to be tested for coronavirus after a man being held there was confirmed to have the virus. The 37-year-old came to, hike, came to Hong Kong from Thailand last year and overstayed. He was sent to the centre after being caught on Sunday. Two immigration officers who carried out checks on him at the centre and three other detainees who stayed in the same room for two days are considered to be close contacts and are being put in quarantine. Dr Chuang Shuk Kwan of the Centre for Health Protection says that the chances of a COVID-19 outbreak at the centre are not high. There are reports of uh, outbreaks in prisons in overseas. Uh, that's why there's a surveillance program in the detention centre to test for the newly admitted uh, persons. Um, uh, I understand this this uh, person um, only stayed with uh, three other inmates, so the chance of um, a major outbreak is not big. Of course, we will, um, as a precautionary, we will try to uh, test. Uh, I mean, offer tests to all the inmates and uh, immigration officers working there, just just in case. There's been a further drop in the number of new coronavirus cases, with 26 reported today. Meanwhile, an 86-year-old coronavirus patient has died, bringing the death toll linked to COVID-19 in the territory to 72. Hong Kong's unemployment rate has improved slightly, edging down from 6.2% to 6.1%. But as Priscilla Ng reports, the government is warning that the local jobs market remains under severe pressure due to the recent spike in COVID-19 cases. There is finally some good news for the local employment market as it snaps an almost year-long rising streak in the jobless rate. It was at 6.1% in the three months ending July, down from 6.2% in the April to June period. The underemployment rate also decreased from 3.7% to 3.5%.
The government says the improvement was most evident in the information and communication, education, and professional and business sectors, with the economy adding some 16,600 jobs. However, with more people joining the labor force, the actual number of unemployed people rose by 1,800 to almost 243,000. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority says it is loosening mortgage requirements for non-residential properties due to falling prices and transaction numbers. From tomorrow, the maximum loan-to-value ratio for such properties will go up to 50% from the current 40%. The authority's chief executive Arthur Yun says that business confidence has been affected by both the coronavirus pandemic and rising geopolitical tensions. He says that this has resulted in a significant adjustment in both the volume and value of non-residential property sales, even as the residential market remains robust. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past eleven. The Hong Kong Journalists Association and RTHK's Program Staff Union have applied for a judicial review of a ruling by the Communications Authority that led to the popular satirical TV show headliner being taken off air. They say the ruling violates the city's guarantees on freedom of speech. Tom McAlinden has details. The Communications Authority gave RTHK a warning for an episode of Headliner, which aired on February the 14th, and which more than 3,000 people had filed complaints about. The episode had poked fun at the police, among other things, joking that officers had an abundance of protective gear to ward off the coronavirus at a time when medical staff were complaining they were running short. The authority said the program had denigrated and insulted the police, and the jokes made were not only factually inaccurate but also amounted to a gratuitous attack on all officers. It told RTHK to more closely observe the relevant provisions of the Code of Practice on program standards, saying in such shows facts must be respected when expressing opinions, and there's a need for a sufficiently broad range of views to be expressed. The warning led to the three decades old political satire program being pulled off air indefinitely. The RTHK Union and the Journalists Association have now launched a legal challenge at the High Court. They say the authorities' ruling violated provisions in the Basic Law, the Bill of Rights, and the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, which protect freedom of speech of the press and of publication, including the freedom to criticize governmental institutions and the conduct of public officials. They also say the authority made a mistake by classifying Headliner as a personal views program without considering its satirical nature, and it had therefore applied the wrong set of standards in reaching its decision. Hong Kong has been left largely unscathed by the first typhoon to brush past the territory this year. Damon Pang reports. Typhoon Higos came and went quickly and didn't inflict any significant damage on Hong Kong. Seven people went to public hospitals for treatment after getting hurt because of the storm. Police say a 70-year-old woman and her son had to be rescued from Grass Island off Sai Kong after their camping supplies were blown away by strong winds. A helicopter couldn't reach them because of the bad weather, and rescuers had to hike to them. The pair refused to be sent to hospital. This man was among a group of people who decided to go and check out the typhoon overnight at the pier in Chimshachui. He says after a year of turmoil, he doesn't think Hong Kongers will be scared of a storm. Some people were already heading to work before the signal aid was downgraded. This woman from Malaysia says Higos wasn't really much of a typhoon. I don't think the typhoon is a big deal. It's not serious rain and wind. In my country, I've seen bigger rains and wind, and we still go to work. 
This man says he went out during the signal eight simply because he had nothing better to do. I just feel boring you know, when I stay at home, so I just come over to office. It's not required. Meanwhile, this woman says her restaurant remains open during typhoons. Because I'm working as a chef, and the restaurant still operate. I waited for two hours for the taxi because I live in a very remote area. He got led to a number nine signal for six hours and a number eight for nearly seven hours. The government received 53 reports of fallen trees and two floods, but no landslides were reported. Franchised bus services were suspended, as were ferries and trams, while the MTR ran a limited service. Civic Party lawmaker and Dr. Kwok Kaki says it's irresponsible of the government to hire medical students to collect nasal and throat samples for upcoming citywide coronavirus testing, as many have no training in such high-risk procedures. Media reports say the government has been recruiting private medical workers as well as students with a medical background to help with the tests. But Dr. Quox says a test handled by untrained students could go wrong in various ways. In most of the hospital settings, or even in most of the other countries' example, the test will only be done by trained personnel. It may be a trained nurse or trained doctors. But it won't be any students like medical student, nursing student, physiotherapy student, occupational therapy student, because number one, they do not know how to protect themselves. They may not know how to take the swab. They do not know how to protect the patient taking the swab. An infectious disease expert says he believes there could be lapses in India's COVID-19 testing system after 11 people who arrived in Hong Kong on an Air India plane last Friday were found to have the virus. The government has now temporarily banned the Indian flag carrier from flying to the territory. Timmy Sung reports. In a statement to RTHK, health officials say they have used the prevention and control disease regulation to prohibit Air India from flying to Hong Kong until the end of the month. Dr. Chan Shokwan from the Center for Health Protection says it's the first time the authorities have invoked this power. We ask all the、um, incoming passengers they should have produced a test before they they embark on the flight. So it is supposed they have tests or negative before they come to Hong Kong. But、um, we found quite a few, quite a number of、um, positive confirmed patients among. Among those flights, so、uh, that's why we revoked the、uh, the regulation to bar them from, I mean, coming to Hong Kong for two weeks' time to to see. Dr. Lan Shishiu of the Medical Association says the government's move is to help prevent the coronavirus from being brought into the SAR. The high percentage of positive cases、uh, on screening after arrival suggests that. Uh, either uh, the epidemic situation、uh, in the involved countries is、uh, serious, or、uh, there may be lapses. I think in the in the screening mechanisms uh, before uh, the passengers'、uh, departure. Inbound travelers from nine high-risk countries, including India, are required to provide proof of a negative coronavirus test within three days of their departure. Doctor Leung says it would cause inconvenience to passengers if the time limit is tightened further.
The Education Bureau has been accused of a lack of transparency over the way it advised local publishers to modify their Liberal Studies textbooks. The Hong Kong Liberal Studies Teachers Association says some publishers have removed some references to a separation of powers in Hong Kong, as well as questions regarding civil disobedience. The association's chairman, Lau Kam Fei, told Wendy Wong he's not sure why the changes have been made. The community is focusing on the changes, especially in the rule of law. Can we discuss the division of the powers in Hong Kong? Previously in the textbook, there are, are those things. In the suggested modification, some textbooks, um, they deleted the term, the division of powers, but the, the content of um, how the three powers, how they, they're having the check and balance, uh, they are still there. Why do you think they're removing the term division of power? There has been certain debate on whether Hong Kong, the whole political system, whether um, there really exists uh, the division of powers, especially in the terms. Well, if you look into the basic law, uh, really, there aren't any terms concerning written down there, the division of the, the three powers. There isn't such term. Some people in 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 a society they would say, well, the three powers should uh, cooperate with each other uh, to minimize the debate in the society and promote a, a more harmonious society. So I think the um, some of the, the textbooks they would say, well, since there aren't such terms in the in the basic law, let's let's remove it. What about the discussion on civil disobedience? As far as I know, uh, all the publishers, the civil disobedience, it remains. But one or two publishers they removed the question bank concerning the civil disobedience. Maybe the publishers, they think, well, it won't appear in the exam anyway. So we just remove the questions. But the, the contents are still there. The teachers can still teach civil disobedience. Do you know if the publishers were told by the Education Bureau to make these changes? This is the concern of our association because the whole process is not transparent. We do not know um, the process, how they exchange their ideas. We do not know nor do we know um, the criteria. But the, why is the removal of some of the contents? Why some can re, uh, retain there and some have to uh, modify it into other things? We do not know the criteria. Uh, some teachers in Hong Kong, they may not use textbooks or they use a lot of school-based um, um, teaching materials. So it's a question to them whether they should change their school-based materials as well. In response to concerns raised about changes to liberal studies textbooks, the Education Bureau says allegations that they have been censored are untrue. It says it had received complaints about biased teaching materials and had a responsibility to rectify the problems. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Citywide testing for coronavirus will reportedly start on September the 1st. Hundreds of staff and detainees at the Castle Peak Bay Immigration Centre are to be checked for coronavirus after an infection there. And the number of people out of work in Hong Kong dropped slightly after rising for months. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 it's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's NewsWrap programme. Two murder-suicides involving close relatives have been reported in Hong Kong in the past few days, sparking concerns over a rise in family conflicts during the coronavirus pandemic. Social groups and NGOs say they've received an increase in calls for help from victims of domestic violence. 
Susanna Lam, a senior community education officer with Harmony House, told Priscilla Ung that COVID-related stay-home measures have given rise to more conflicts among family members. We can see that uh, in this winter months, we the number of the uh, hotline help calls are increased. Uh, during this period of time, most of the elders need to work from home and also the children need to learn some home so that they spend lots of time stay at home, which may cause them to um, maybe more easier to have contact in the family. What do you think or what do you suggest should be done when people do come into conflict with their family members, especially in serious cases? Uh, actually, in our organization, we have a new project named as 5S Project, which is mainly to help those low weeks in domestic violence families to provide a short state, uh, short state services for them in the hotel so that they can uh, make use of this time while they are staying in the hotel and to relieve their intense emotion. We got the funding from Jockey Club and we also got a partner, is the Dorset, Dorset Group, which they provide the hotels for us in this project. But what about cases uh, involving, for example, mothers who are stuck at home with their children and they can't really just, you know, leave the house for two weeks? What do you suggest that they do uh, when they do come into conflict with family members? Uh, I think when they are at home, well, they are facing the family conflict, I think. They need to uh, calm down, yes, and also, well, they know that they will get angry. They have to control their emotion. I think we will suggest them to lift the environment or maybe go back to room or go into the toilet so that they can come down and can stop the problem to be more worsened. And also if they need help, I think they can call their relatives or friends or even the social workers to release their tensions. And actually, I, during the conflict, they see the other is handling the weapons, I think. They hold the weapons in hands. I think they have to escape from their home and seek help from the police. Do you think that the government is doing enough to address this growing social problem? Actually, in in March, we uh, co- uh, collaborate with two other women's organization and also issue a letter to the government and to ask for them to put the domestic violence problems uh, to seek their help and also want them to make more concern on the issue of domestic violence in Hong Kong during the uh, COVID-19. Susanna Lam from Harmony House speaking to Priscilla Ung. A concern group advocating for the rights of people detained in the Castle Peak Bay Immigration Centre has rejected the Immigration Department's claim that recent media reports on a hunger strike there have been completely untrue and intended to mislead the public. The CIC Detainees' Rights Concern Group has been attempting to raise awareness about a hunger strike that has now entered its 52nd day. Ten detainees are reportedly still refusing to eat, down from the 28 who started the action in protest over their detention and treatment. A member of the concern group, Amy Ip, spoke to Richard Pine about the Immigration Department's response 
to its campaign. I feel it's really unfair for the immigration department to accuse the media and what we find out is untrue and inaccurate because we have actually are contacting the detainees and also some visitors in person. It's a first-hand source from them. And so what we find out that you can see in the survey is totally different from what an immigration department announced it, saying that they were treated properly, uh, that we are forcing them to release them. It's not true. We cannot force anything from the immigration department. So we think that it's really unfair for a department like this to accuse the media and the concern group like us. You mentioned the survey. That, that was a survey of visitors and ex-detainees. Can you just lay out some of the concerns that they raised? Yeah, they mostly talk about their denial of medical treatment. But we can, we can see that in the survey, there's more than 70% talk about it's really inhuman uh, in their CIC experience, which we think that there's a lot of room for immigration to improve. Do you think that it has been easier for authorities to just ignore this problem because there are so many other issues in Hong Kong going on at the moment and people seem a bit maybe apathetic about this issue? Yeah, I'm sure. It's a, CIC is always unseen by Hong Kong people and it's not something that the officer can take it as a credit from the media and that's why I think they don't put enough resources, human resources. They don't put enough resources and effort to improve that or take care of these detainees who, who don't have the choice and who don't have the room to express themselves. So that's why I think that it is the main problem. Actually, I think our government has enough money, right? And, and they, they just don't put enough resources into this issue. That was Amy Ip from the CIC Detainees Rights Group speaking to Richard Pine there. Joe Biden has been officially nominated as the Democratic Party's candidate for November's US presidential election. The second evening of the convention, which is being held remotely, heard from, among others, former presidents Bill Clinton and Jimmy Carter. Anna Marie Evans asked Nicholas Gordon, the chair of Democrats Abroad Hong Kong, what Joe Biden could bring to the presidency. Well, I mean, first of all, um, the, the theme of day one of the convention was unity, and you can see that in the people who are who are testifying to Biden's strength. Um, it's a it's a broad swath of politicians involving both progressives like Bernie Sanders, and conservatives like John Kasich and Cindy McCain, the the widow of the late John McCain. Um, so he's a unifying candidate, and one that brings I think empathy, honesty, and deep relationship um, to those around him. And this will especially be needed after the chaos of the past four years, and especially the past five months, um, where I'd like to kind of paraphrase what, what, what Michelle Obama said on, on day one, which is it's clear that the Trump administration and President Trump is not up to the task of meeting the challenges that America faces right now. Now, Joe Biden is old. This is his third attempt. Could there be Biden fatigue? Well, I mean, again, you look, look at the at 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 the fervent support he's gotten, you know, from across the political spectrum. Again, both progressives and conservatives, and I think even for people who are who 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 have seen Biden in the Obama years and before, they understand the importance of getting the Trump administration out of office, um, and they understand that that this is a critical election. Um, 
And I'd like to know quickly, it's a critical election and also a complicated one for those of us living, those Americans living overseas. So just a quick a quick point to those Americans listening to this program to please request your ballot now and to submit your ballot as soon as possible, electronically if you can. And we at Democrats, Democrats Abroad Hong Kong are willing and happy to help any American looking to submit their ballots this November. I think definitely electronically there seems to be a problem with the post office in the U.S. at the moment. But with the but with Joe Biden, um, you know, it's interesting, as you say, that you're getting a lot of uh, moderate Republican support, Colin Powell and various others. That's true. And I think that that speaks to, again, as I mentioned earlier, the deep relationships Joe Biden has built with with other politicians in the American political system over the years, not just with people like John Kasich and, and John McCain, but also with people on the progressive way, like Senator Bernie Sanders, who gave a very strong endorsement of Joe Biden on, again, during his speech during day one of the convention. Now, Joe Biden uh, lost his first wife and uh, child in a car crash, um, and also, more recently, his adult son. Um, I noted that uh, Jill Biden also gave a speech. Um, in a time of COVID, do you think that that's also playing the, the not a bit cynical to say playing the empathy card, I don't mean it to sound quite like that, but making Joe Biden a more empathetic candidate? Well, I think... People say that because he is an empathetic candidate. Um, you know, again, there he he took Amtrak to work every day um, when he was in the Senate, um, and there was a video highlighting those who worked the train, who got to know Vice, who got to know Senator Biden um, when he was on that commute. Um, he was nominated by the security guard at the New York Times with that viral video that that was released right before he did his interview with the New York Times. So they got they. They reach out to real people um, to make the point, to make the arguments for Joe Biden and, and as I said, his empathy and his relationships with, again, not, not just politicians, but also ordinary Americans. Protests in Belarus are entering their 10th day today. After 26 years in power, the country's president, Alexander Lukashenko, is facing mounting pressure to step down amid widespread claims that he's rigged the country's election. In the past few days, hundreds of thousands of people have taken to the streets of Minsk while workers have gone out on strike. The BBC's Jonah Fisher is in the Belarusian capital and took a drive around to sample the mood. Belarus's workers have traditionally been the president's most loyal supporters. Not anymore. At the MZKT heavy machinery plant in Minsk, Thousands have gone out on strike. Why don't we have any freedom? We are simple people. We are Belarusians. Why can't we live the way we want? We want rights. We want free elections. 26 years in power. It's enough. It's now just over a week since President Lukashenko, Europe's longest-serving leader, claimed to widespread disbelief that he'd won 80% of the vote in the elections here. That result, widely condemned as rigged, has led to unprecedented scenes here in the Belarusian capital. Okay, this is it. Keeping a firm grip on state media is a key tool of strongmen leaders like President Lukashenko. 
There are several thousand people outside the headquarters of Belarusian TV. They're chanting, tell the truth. Many employees, like Katia, walked out after their channel almost completely ignored hundreds of thousands of people taking to the streets. I couldn't allow myself to continue to be an employee of an organization that doesn't tell the truth, that lies to people. When my friends started getting arrested last week, I realized I couldn't look them in the eye anymore. I'm now outside the Okristina detention center. Beyond a high wall topped with barbed wire, I can see the windows of the cells. Many of them are open, but all of them are blocked by bars. It's a pretty bleak place. This is where many of those arrested during the demonstrations have been taken to. And during the last week or so, people waiting on the outside have very clearly heard the screams of those being held on the other side of the wall. Alexander was one of those kept here. They beat me over the head and on my legs with batons. We had to lie face down on the ground for four hours. Whenever I tried to lift myself up, they beat my legs again. Outside Belarus's National Theatre, a crowd has gathered. The director of the theatre, a former ambassador has just been sacked for speaking out about the torture of protesters. His actors have now walked out in solidarity. Roman Padalatka is one of them. Do you think it's important that artists and actors like you are seen to make a, a public stand? It's impossible to live in a country where uh, there is no law. People are dying, people are beaten by the police. And so we can play the performances in this situation. And we, we must have a new, new election in this country. At the Belarus Philharmonic, the entire orchestra and choir are performing out on the pavement. They're playing a new composition. It's an anthem that's been hastily composed for a new Belarus. It's all a touch premature. This revolution is far from over, but Belarus has already dramatically changed. The BBC's Jonah Fisher with that report. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. The government is conducting a public consultation on the 2020 policy address. Please share your views on different policy areas. We are willing to listen and engage. For details, please visit the website www.policyaddress.gov.hk. Radio 3 Weather. A look at the weather forecast for tonight and tomorrow. Mainly cloudy with occasional showers and thunderstorms. There will be swells over the sea. Showers will ease off with sunny intervals later. Temperatures will range between 26 and 32 degrees and winds will be moderate east to southeasterlies. The outlook, very hot with sunny periods in the following couple of days. 
Currently, the Air Quality Health Index is low, with readings of two at both stations. At the observatory, air temperature is 27 degrees Celsius, relative humidity 91%. Everyone considered him a coward of the county. It never stood one single time to prove the county wrong. His mama named him Tommy, but folks just called him Yellow. Something always told me they were reading Tommy wrong. He was only ten years old when his daddy died in prison. I looked after Tommy. Cause he was my brother's son I still recall the final words My brother said to Tommy Son, my life is over But yours has just begun Promise me, son, not to do the things I've done Walk away from trouble if you can So it won't be to be a man There's someone for everyone And Tommy's love was Becky In her arms he didn't have to prove he was a man One day while he was working The Gatlin boys came calling They took turns at Becky And there was three of them Tommy opened up the door and saw his Becky crying. The torn dress, the shattered look was more than he could stand. He reached above the fireplace and took down his daddy's picture. As the tears fell on his daddy's face, he heard these words again. Promise me, son, not to do Walk away from trouble if you can Now it won't mean you're weak if you turn the other cheek I hope you're old enough to understand Son, you don't have to fight to be a man The Gatlin boys just laughed at him when he walked into the bar room one of them got up and met him halfway across the floor. When Tommy turned around, they said, Hey, look, old yellow's leaving. But you could have heard a pin drop when Tommy stopped and locked the door. Twenty years of crawling was bottled up inside him. He wasn't holding nothing back. He let them have it all. 